This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. And we get the back view of him. And I mean, it's just a mega. 52 yards is a long shot. Uh, Magnum P.I. is what yeah. we named him. No idea. Just but, a magnum. Yeah, just a magnum. Come on, Cam Ashi. We, we said probably 150, mid 150. Yeah. Same Doe from the morning come out with that nine pointer. Here, here steps out this 90 inch eight pointer. Like, <laughs> yeah. Ah. I'm like, okay, well, there's still a buck back there grunting. Yeah. And then out steps like another 90 inch eight yeah. pointer. I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. You're like, I'm like, deer, right there. Yeah, like And he's 30 already yards. 30 yards. Yeah. He he was literally five yards from the base of the tree. Could have been had a buck down at 140 in the afternoon, back there deep on public. Three does come out pretty early. It was like 245, 24 yard shot, sent the combat veteran. And I tell you what, man, dude, it just smoked. We always get so jacked up when the other person kills. It's just almost like we got it done. Yeah. And when you kill that doe, I was like, hell yeah, man. And we come down here to Missouri. My ass Comey one more time. I'm like, is it a good buck? And he goes, yeah, real good, solid buck. I'm like, all right, boom. <laughs> and the deer just drops. Sure. Super special to me. Whitetail Legacy Podcast, bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. This is the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, one of the mediocrest podcasts <laughs> on whitetails in the world. Um, coming at you with an absolute awesome episode this week. It is pretty cool. Yeah. Brooke Martin from Iowa. This guy's got it going on way more hardcore than what we got going. <laughs> i tell you that right now. Um, guy moves from one state to another to chase whitetails and crushes an absolute giant. It's just not like land. next door either. Like he yeah. moved 14 hours. Yeah. So we don't want to give too much of the episode away, but uh, you guys are going to have to get through the intro and listen to the episode. But this, this is a, this is a good one. This is a hot off the press whitetail um, episode. All right, let's get into the people that make this possible. We got the VIP. You got the VIP this week. Yeah. So uh, VIP is offering both heads in the 175 grain weight. Uh, that would be the original two-blade veteran broadhead and the four-blade combat veteran. Uh, so if you're looking to up your FOC, um, they're offering both the two-blade and the four-blade. So following that up, we'll get right into the VIP shout-out. Uh, this shout-out is coming from our Twitter feed. Um, the guys over at vets for hunting and fishing so that'd be vets for hunting fishing um they're on a mission to fight back against veteran suicide as well as depression and loneliness that gets vets through after separating from the armed forces when separating a lot of depression stems from the lack of camaraderie 
A vet loses when separating and or traumatic experiences while sacrificing for our great nation. And the freedom that we all enjoy because of those sacrifices. We are looking at um, gaining sponsors to help find trips or products to raffle and raise money. Or to get more vets on hunts or fishing trips of a lifetime. All donations are tax deductible and will only be used directly for vets for hunting and fishing. Donations will also be used to cover counseling services during trips, land fees, tag fees, license, travel, equipment, camping, and expenses, etc., etc. Um, you will be represented by America's Finest Veterans. And uh, please check these guys out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter uh, for more information. Or if you are able to help uh, them out f- with a, you know, uh, a place to hunt or a donation... Um, anything of that sort, they're, uh, you know, just like they said, that everything goes to a tax write-off. Yeah, another great company out there helping vets. Anything they can do to to prevent that number from rising, suicide number from rising, and get these guys back in camaraderie and um, making some friendships. We've heard a lot of compelling stories from groups that do this. Um, it's pretty awesome. So anyway, that we can give a shout out to help help companies like this trying to help vets, um, we love doing. So we appreciate you guys uh, doing this for veterans, and uh, I know it's probably a struggle to to get donations and to organize all this stuff. But props to you for for doing it. Let's get into ECW calls. Um, ECW calls can make any repairs to a glass slate call. So even if you have something that's not ECW call and it's a glass slate call, Mm -hmm. they can make a repair for it at a very reasonable price. I actually had to have him make a repair for me last year. Um, Shout out Matt and Cindy. Mm -hmm. They actually made it for me. (laughs) But I had uh, fallen crossing the creek trying to move on a gobbler and cracked my glass call. And he had it done, you know, in a couple days and had me a new one ready to go. So if you... uh, if you break one during season and you're close to Elmwood, drive through there, and he'd have one in a you know matter of minutes to get back together, and you could get back out in the woods the next day and start chasing them. Ingram's outdoor obsession. Um, are you for sure gonna get a full body? Everyone's full body turkey, hundred percent for this grand slam that I'm attempting yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, every everyone's gonna be grand, uh, full body. Different pose. How many uh, different poses is there say, for turkeys? So the the kind of the guideline I'm going off of is they have four different poses, but I feel like until I'm kind of a hundred percent sure that I'm gonna get them all done, you know what I mean? You're gonna pick the ones you like, like first. I feel like the Osceola, if I get it because it's gonna be the last one I do, like it's gonna have to just be like, you know, slim body straight goblin mm-hmm. because it's gonna be the last one, you know what I mean? Um obviously the Eastern's the biggest, so I kinda like it, you know. Maybe strutting. Full strut. Um, one half strut. I would say the Miriam's obviously the prettiest, so I'd like it full strut full too. Fanned. Uh So you can do whatever you want. I know, bro. I know. Maybe I just have all four of them yeah. full strut. I don't, hell, can, I don't know. Ingram can do whatever you want to. Just so, turn their heads or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Left handed turkeys. Yeah, left handed turkey. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Ingram's outdoor obsession. When I was up there, he was um, putting pig hair on turkey heads. So guys yeah. getting really detailed on his work. His I need head, to shoot a heads pig. were looking real so yeah, <laughs> that'd be sweet. All right, Exodus trail cams. Um this is a the time of year when a lot of people aren't thinking about trail cams, but this is the time of year that I like to take a little bit of that money maybe that I have extra and start thinking about buying a couple extra ones, you know what I mean? Yeah. And in the past, um I've loved those real cheap cams that you can get a bunch and cover a bunch of ground, but the more we talk, the more we talk, it's like if you want something to be solid, you you go for an Exodus. So I, it's I'm all good for you buying, you know, going and buying some cheap cams. But if I could just, if you want somewhere to be a hundred percent solid, gonna take pictures without a doubt, spend some money on a quality camera that you can get some good pictures off of because having a blurry nighttime picture to a perfect nighttime picture is it's worth it. You I feel know what like I mean? when you want to buy a cheap trail cam it's like you know in the season and you're like oh i gotta get a cam here mm-hmm. but if you just like you said if you take the time now to stock up and buy three four cams you know throughout the springtime 
you're going to have that cam to get into the spot yeah. that you need it, and you're going to get really good pictures. Yeah, you're going to get really good pictures or really good video that you're going to be like, damn, I could like, I mean, this is solid, especially if you're trying to grow history with deer and stuff. Just to have really solid pictures means so much to help tell the story and just keep that memory for you. And ex can, Exodus can nail that for you, dude. They yeah. can give you the best best picture quality, best picture video quality out there in my opinion just absolutely crushes the game so um whether you're buying an exodus or whatever brand you're buying um i suggest that you have a few nice cams that you know can get the deal and then if you want to run the 20 dollars tascos you know out there because you want to cover more ground great but you need to have some in those solid spots because there's nothing worse than walking up and having those tascos not work you know what i mean um, it's just super frustrating. Absolute devastating. You leave it set for a month and then you got nothing for <laughs> yeah. a month, you know? Right. So, all right. Next level deer supplements. You got next level? Yeah. Uh, don't forget, you know, this is time to be turning on the mineral. And, um, if you want to get some of that, be sure to look them up at nextleveldeer.com. That's N-X-T leveldeer.com. Yeah, check out um, their Twitter. They're real popular. They're on Twitter, um, real active on there, um, Instagram and Facebook also. But uh, they're just real good to we're guy good guys to talk to. So if you ever have any mineral questions, um, whether you're just you want to purchase some or you're just interested about the product, don't be afraid to message them guys. They're gonna get back with you. They're super knowledgeable, and uh, they're gonna be able to talk talk about it in a way that you understand because they yeah. make me understand it and For that's sure. hard to do For you sure. know what i mean so it's super solid when you there's a lot of companies out there that you can't get a hold of and you can't talk to you know what i mean and next level's there you know if you message them they're going to get back with you and do the right thing so is that it that's it man let's oh, I go seen you had some more notes on there i was wondering what's going on all right let's oh, get no, in the no, show yeah. <laughs> all right all right here we go we got brooke martin on the line how you doing tonight man Good, man. How are you? Doing great. Appreciate you coming on. Um, I kind of cold messaged you. I heard your story, and I was like, man, this is one that needs to be shared because uh, pretty pretty badass. Not a lot of people doing that. So um, before we get into the story, though, go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah, so um, I'm Brooke Martin. I'm originally from Mercersburg, Pennsylvania, which is just a pretty small town there in South Central PA. Um, lived there, grew up hunting and fishing just like anyone else. Um, really enjoyed it. And honestly, I uh, I guess to give you a little backstory, uh, when I was younger, I always wanted to be, it was like a kind of a dream of mine to be like a famous hunter or to be in the hunting industry, I guess. Um, and I kind of got my feet wet early on by being on like a couple pro staff and, and so forth. And I really wanted to, to get myself into the industry. So I haven't actually talked to you, Cody, about this, but I used to work for a company you're probably familiar with, Wasp Broadheads. Yeah. Um, I, I was a sales manager for them. So I went to college, took a lot of marketing classes, and worked with them the whole time, and eventually landed a job with them um, and became a sales manager, basically managing the whole northeast region. Um, it was a Great job, dream job, you know, everything I wanted, but I still didn't feel like it was at home. Um, and honestly, part of that step back was, a, you know, early bow hunter. I would read magazines, and, I mean, it's not hard to see. Any video you watch, the juries or, you know, Lee and Tiffany, you would all see them hunting in Iowa. Um, so that, that dream of moving to Iowa was always instilled in with me. And two years ago, here I am, and, you know, the job that I wanted to go going and do and things were going well and really growing but i just kept getting a tough i wanted to, to move to iowa like i'll be honest i was kind of scared to do it and my girlfriend kept getting tired of me talking about it and finally just told me that's all you ever talk about you need to do it so um the hardest day of my life probably was going in and quitting the job that i worked so hard to get um to let them know that, hey, I'm moving halfway across the country to chase deer, um, which was kind of crazy. And I think a lot of people still would say it was crazy, but it's worked out thus far. So that's kind of a little of a background of how I got to Iowa, I guess. 
Super badass, man. Quit a job that you know you're enjoying, but you knew you wouldn't be happy, you know, unless you were in Iowa. So a lot of people, um, me and homie talk about this a lot, you know, it's hard to chase your dreams and do the right thing when you got something steady going, but you did it right, man. Um, you did it young. So even if Iowa didn't work out, you had so many years to come back, you know what I mean? So your girlfriend was right for for pushing you, man. I just I hear so many stories of people saying they they wish they would have done this or wish they would have done that, and I was just like, I really don't want to be 20 years down the road and regret not doing it, you know. And there's no better time than now. So I was like, screw it, I'm doing it, um, and I went for it. I mean, I I took a completely job out of here. I I mean, I interviewed and got a job out here, obviously before I moved, but um, I just took a random job on it to get started and just to get my feet out here. I wanted to be out in Iowa and I did it. And it's kind of funny. I uh, packed up a U-Haul, packed up my truck in a U-Haul trailer. My parents came with me and we drove 14 hours out here. And um, I, I, I did some research on where the big deer were, but I didn't do a lot of research on like where the safest areas are to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up having like approval in a bunch of different apartments and I ended up the first place I stayed, they said, you know, the apartment complex, like, oh, it's real safe, no problem. Well, then I found out there was, like, a shooting there, like, a couple days before. So I ended up bailing out of that place and moving to a whole other apartment complex um, across town. And so basically I moved twice in two days when I first came out here. Like, it was not an easy transition at all. Like, just kind of crazy. Yeah, for sure. And how how old were you when you were doing all this? So I that was I'll be twenty seven next month. So I was twenty five. So I've only been out here. It'll be two years in June. I I've been out here. Um, so not too long ago, really, in the grand scheme of things. But things have kind of moved pretty quick for me. Um, I my girlfriend and I bought a house with six acres here. And I have my own pond, and I can watch deer every evening and. I have a, a really good job now that, honestly, I can't complain. I, I work for a company called uh, Corteva AgriScience. Basically, it's um, where I look at my, work at my facility is a, a seed production facility. We, you know, produce um, corn and soybeans. So I manage a core production team there on site, and basically we package, treat, um, size uh, corn that basically farmers plant all over the country. Nice, man. That's definitely what not, I do now. Definitely so. not the hunting industry, but if you're killing, I mean, working in the hunting industry or killing big, giant deer, I mean, that's, I would pick yeah. giant deer. <laughs> well, the further and, further and we honestly, get in like the hunting industry, I'm like, this, eh. this company, I get five weeks vacation, so, you know. Yeah, that's perfect. I would perfect. take that any day over working in the hunting industry. I'd rather hunt more versus talk about hunting, you know. Yeah, for sure. The more we learn about the hunting industry, the more I'm like, ah, man, it wouldn't. I don't think it would be a really solid job if you had to work for a company because it's, it's, there's a lot of ups and downs, and I don't know. Yeah, always trying. It your, can be brutal, and it's so cutthroat anymore with how the industry's going. Honestly, currently, I my friend asked me all the time if I would go back if I could do that out here, and I had a few opportunities to kind of get back into it. Honestly, I just I don't want any parts of it. Yeah. I don't blame you, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we kind of hinted around, but so you moved from Pennsylvania, and it, you know your dream was to chase giant, giant whitetails in Iowa. You know, I when I think about giant whitetails, I think Iowa, Illinois, Northern Missouri, and Ohio now because everything, yeah. everything big comes out of Ohio. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, uh, for sure. But uh, um. You know, your second there, you're there on public, you kill an absolute giant. So, um, kind of just go into the story, and then uh, we'll we'll go ahead and pick some details of the story, and we'll break it down further from there. Um, but did you have a name for the buck? I didn't name him. Um, I, I didn't. I knew he was around, and I saw him twice before I killed him. Um, but I I didn't name him. But Honestly, to, I guess, start the whole thing back. Um, so where we bought our house was like an hour away from where I did live. So I was basically, my first year I hunted some public, 
and gain some access onto private. Um, and honestly, I, I met a guy out here. We did a lot of filming and stuff together, um, trying to do he, – he was more into the filming side of things, and I honestly just wasn't. You know, we, we joke all the time that, hey, I'm going to shoot a buck whether you got camera light or not, you know. But I ended up moving further away from him, so it just didn't make sense um, logistically to try to hunt together as much as what we did. So I was starting all over um, on public that I'd never been to. And honestly, what I did, I ran about 25, 26 cameras all summer on every piece of public within probably an hour and a half, two hours of me, um, just trying to find big deer, honestly. And the reason why is a lot of people don't realize, but Iowa doesn't have a lot of public ground. I think it's like less than 2% of the ground in Iowa is public. Um, so there isn't a whole lot of ground, honestly, out here. And I just wanted to find the best piece of public that I thought would give me an opportunity at a big one. Um, so this particular piece of public ground where I actually shot that buck, I had, I would say going into the season, I had five bucks, I would say over 150 um, on camera. And he was not one of them, actually. Um, so he did not spend his summer there and, and honestly I'm not sure where he came from originally um you know I don't know where he spent his summer but I uh so basically my approach to public land obviously is find where the big deer are and then figure out how to kill them um is kind of my approach and it's becoming more popular for everyone you know trying to figure out where they bed and so forth but I uh don't necessarily worry about this where they bed as much. Um, I just want to know where I can kill them. So I jump around a lot. I just use, you know, a lone wolf stand and sticks and hang and hunt just pretty much like any public land hunter nowadays. But, um, so that particular deer, I guess to back up and start the story, the first time I saw him, I was sitting, um, kind of on more of an observation sit. I had noticed some fresh rubs and some scrapes in an area. And I just kind of got curious and wanted to go back further into it and just kind of see what was back in there. Um, I didn't really scout it much before, but I knew that it had to hold some deer. And honestly, a lot of the buck I had on camera in um, the summer disappeared. So a lot of them, I think, you know, moved off to different food sources or whatever. But I kind of thought maybe some of them would go over here. And while I was doing this observation sit, um, I had saw him probably 150, 200 yards away, um, cutting across the CRP field. And I would run into him a couple of times and could not get him to, he turned, he stopped and turned and looked one time, but he would not commit. And I was like, dang, that's, that's a good deer, but how am I going to kill him? You know? So I guess that was the first sighting. And then, Second sighting, I saw him. I was actually um, driving, and I saw a buck jump across the road with a doe and go into this patch of timber where I just was the week before. And I was like, that's that same deer. So I I hurry up and park the truck. Um, kind of funny, hurry up and grab my decoy. I try to be someone like you see on TV, chase after you know a buck and doe, and. I went back in there trying to get on them, and honestly, I just I wasn't quick enough to where to cut them off where they were going. Um, and I sat there for a couple hours and just wasn't going to work. So then I was like, okay, I got to get a game plan now to kill this deer. I figured out roughly where he's at, and this is all happening in you know a week week and a half um, time frame. So basically, what I did was I went into that spot and I carried my lone wolf and my stick to try to hunt in there. But when I went in, there was already deer there. This was like the following week. And I tried to tried to find a set up, but honestly, I was covered up in deer. I kind of got in there a little bit later. Um, so I just stayed on the ground that evening. And I had a couple of does walk by and a couple smaller bucks. And I almost shot um, a smaller deer. It wasn't him, but... He was probably 150-class ninth one to come in. Um, I, I almost shot him, but he winded me, and I was like, okay, these deer are going through here pretty good. This is definitely the spot. 
um, it was just kind of evident, kind of a pinch spot where if they're going to be running that area at all, they got to kind of go through that gap. Um, I knew it was just a matter of time with the right wind. If I got back in there, I'd probably catch up to him. So I, I was sicker than a dog there for like a week or so. And I had, I had a three day weekend coming up and that Saturday morning, I I went hunting, got up early, went out there and hung my stand. And I remember hanging my stand and and climbing back down to put my backpack and my bow on the rope to go back up. And I was like, man, I don't feel good. I thought about just going home and calling it quits for the the whole day. And I was like, I'm not doing that. It's, you know, here we are, middle of November. I've seen bucks every time I'm going out. Like, why would I do that? So I hunted that morning, um, the different sections of that public and I had called in probably like 130 class eight pointer, let him walk. And I was like, all right, that's fine. I thought the kind of class here I came out here to shoot. No big deal. I was like still trying to talk myself into to leaving. And I was like, no, I'm not going to. But I was like, all right, the wind's good. I'm going to go back in and hunt that spot where I've been, been wanting to go. I just, I, I wanted to go in there bad, but I wouldn't go in there without the right wind. And, I I knew that I that buck had to still be in there. I mean, it was honestly within a week, week and a half. So I went in there sick, and I ended up hanging three sets until I was happy on the third set. Um, the first two, I just didn't think it gave me enough opportunities, and since I'm more public, you can't really cut lanes. So just I was very limited in the first two sets, and I remember the third third time I hung a set. Um, and I was like, all right, this is if this is what it's going to have to be. I'm just going to have to make it work. I have all weekend. You know, I have Sunday and Monday. And I think that following day was a good win. So I was kind of planning on just leaving my stand there and hunting it until I could get a shot at him, honestly. But so anyhow, as I'm hanging that third set, there was a button buck that kept coming in. And he would see me. And when, I, when he would come in, I would just not move. He'd turn around and walk back. I think he was just more curious than anything, honestly. So he kept coming in, and finally he left, and I got everything set up, was good to go, and here he comes probably 30 minutes later down in. And as he's coming down in, I see some movement back in the direction where he was at, and I see it's a doe and a buck, and I couldn't get a good look at the buck. I grunted at him, hoping he would come in. And when I grunted at him, I was too busy looking at him. I wasn't paying attention. But that button buck had gotten right right under me, like five, six yards, and was staring up at me. And I'm like, oh, shoot, you know, this this ain't good. Like, he, he's in here all night, but this ain't good. He's staring at me. Well, then he blows and stops. And I'm like, ah, this is game over here. Well, as he blows and stops, I turn and look to the other direction, of this pinch and I just see tines coming. And at that point I thought the gig was still over because here's this button buck right under me. Here's the buck I'm trying to kill probably 80, 90 yards down the other end. And he's standing down there trying to figure out what's going on. Um, so I was honestly, I was just like, I'm screwed here. And that button buck ends up running towards him and I thought for sure he was going to turn and run away. But honestly, yep, that the buck I shot, he heard my grunt and he wanted to find that deer. It was just kind of like he didn't care. And that button buck walked right right up to him, and he kind of just like shoved his head, like move out of the way, and he was coming. And as soon as I realized it was him, I was like, all right, I got to get, I got to get freaking moving. You know, I already had my bow in my hand and stuff, but I was like, I got to get ready. He's coming. I mean, he was coming. He was going to come and figure out what that deer was. And I drew back on him. He was about 30 yards, and I thought I would probably shoot him at that, stop him right there at 30 and shoot him. And by the time I drew back, it wasn't a couple seconds later, he was at the base of my tree at five yards. Um, and so he, it happened so quick, and he's at the base of my tree, and here I am full drawn. I, you know, Matt, stop him. And he just looked straight up like, he, he knew he messed up, like something just he's done, you know. And 
I just, I, I'll never forget his, just the way he looked up with his eyes, like, oh shit, you know. Um, and I just put it right down through him, through the shoulder, right down into him. And he spun and turned to run the other way. And he went about 30, 35 yards and fell right over. Um, I just shoved it right down through that shoulder into his heart. Honestly, it was just kind of a crazy deal. And, and I knew he was big, but I didn't realize how big he was. Because once I finally saw his times, it was, this was the closest I'd been to him. Um, I was like, holy cow, don't look at his antlers anymore. Like, just, you got to shoot him. You got to put him down. Um, so I, 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 so I don't know a lot of people out here in Iowa. I do know enough, but I was about three quarters of a mile back in. And I, I don't know. I grew up like Pennsylvania is very, um, it's hard to find big deer in Pennsylvania and it's hard to find deer that everyone doesn't know about. And you, and you kind of become this very secretive hunting person because of Pennsylvania. Um, so like I knew people I could probably text to go come out and help me, but I was the whole time I'm like, I don't know if I know anyone that I trust enough that isn't going to go tell everyone where I shot this deer, you know? So my poor girlfriend, I have her drop out and meet me. And I, I walked up to him, but I didn't touch him. Cause I was like, I'm not going to touch him until she's here. And I uh, went back to the truck and grabbed the deer cart. And we went back in, and about three and a half hours later, we finally come back out. And it was just a struggle, you know, being sick on top of, you know, carrying my tree stand and sticks and everything out. It was a night I'll never forget, but I'd do it again in a heartbeat, honestly. But so that's kind of the story summed up. I don't know if you want more details or, or not, but. No, that was awesome, man. That was that was a badass. I'm ready to story. go shoot a deer. Yeah, <laughs> me and homie are always talking like, man, if we do end up killing something, we're gonna have to take all our stand and sticks to the oh, truck first. It's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be multiple trips. All the camera gear besides the main camera, <laughs> yeah. and then come back and get it because it's just I couldn't imagine trying to drag the buck plus stand and sticks, your bow. Well, and then you're gonna be holding the camera, so you're gonna be yeah. like half a guy instead yeah. of a full strength <laughs> yeah. guy. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and yeah. my my poor girlfriend's not she's not that big of a woman, so. She ended up, what I ended up doing is strapping um, everything to my deer cart, and she just carried my bow out. And I just, honestly, short spurts, and that was it. You know, it was just working and going. And and once you get to the truck, you think you got it, but you still got to get them on the truck. Yeah, you're um, like, oh, there's a truck. I can <laughs> see it. <laughs> yeah, that was, I remember, so I shoved the deer cart up against the tailgate, and I unbuckled him and held his antlers. And I... I bent over and then pulled up, and she's shoving as much as she can underneath. It was it was a struggle to say the least, but it was it was fun, a good memory for both of us. And yeah, it's pretty awesome that you got to share it together. I don't know if my wife would be like, "Oh yeah, I'll be out there to help you drag this deer <laughs> yeah. out." <laughs> yeah, I don't. She didn't she didn't complain, but I don't know that she was definitely all about it. I know she didn't wear the right shoes. She had some. Cause she had been shopping or something. She had some, I don't know what you call them. Flats. Like boots. <laughs> I call them fancy boots. And they got blood all over them. And oh, I remember man. she said, you're going to have to buy me another pair of boots. At and that I'm point, like, you're like, I'll buy you three pair. pair. I don't even <laughs> Yeah, I'll buy you three pair of boots. I don't care at all. But. Yeah. But it was, it was a good time. And honestly, so, I mean, going back to it, it was just like everything I wanted, you know, finally it happened just there's a lot of things the biggest thing i would say that helps me get on deer in public is i scout a lot um you know besides running cameras cameras are good because they tell you what's there but scout i feel like the most important thing no matter what um and sometimes i blind scout an area like just randomly go in an area just to see i don't know where it might not even make sense to to be there but you never know what you're going to find um are you I don't uh? Know. I don't. Are you doing most of that scouting in season, out of season, or both? Both, like so. Shed season last year, I struggled to find sheds, um, and I shed hunt, but mostly it's an excuse just to see what signs left over. Um, so I do a lot of walking right now. Um, every day I'm off, pretty much. I'm 
from walking all day, just different public areas, just kind of learn the land a little bit more, see what I see. Because um, you never know. Every, every year can be different. You're not going to – not everyone's going to find that spot where you can kill a deer every year. I mean, this particular spot, it's – as far as a funnel and a pinch, it's perfect for it. And I'm sure you could kill a pretty good deer in there every year. But I still like to have options. When that wind isn't right, you can't go in there and hunt. I want to have somewhere else that I feel pretty confident um, going in. But I <laughs> – I, a lot of people would say this is crazy, but I do a lot of, so like through October, instead of burning up the spot they plan on hunting in November, I do a lot of scouting in new areas just on the ground, just take my bow and just kind of sneak in. And and honestly, a lot of people say it's stupid, and maybe it is, but at the end of the day, I've almost shot a couple of deer doing it. And and you find areas that you end up going in in November and killing deer on. So kind of works, I think. Yeah, I think it works, man. We Every time we go in, if we access a different direction, we're always scouting. Even if it's night, we're, like, shining trees, looking for scrapes with flashlights and stuff on the way out, you know, just to try to see if something's changing. There's hot sign here or um, but I do most of mine off season. I just think that's so, I think that's something that people miss out on so much. People are deer hunting from, they're into really into deer hunting from August to January. And then they forget about it for a while and they maybe shed hunt a little bit, but they're, you know, that February, March is so critical to be able to find a spot to kill the next year. Um, I feel like a lot of people miss the boat on that. So no, you, I agree with you 100%. You, I, I was out yesterday on a totally new piece of public. It's really not that big of a, a piece. And the amount of scrapes and rubs I found, I was like, if no one killed this deer, I'm going to come back in here next year and try to because it was just unreal for, you know, just this one main ridge. But if, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Off-season scouting is so important, especially before it greens up. I mean, you're limited here in the next two or three weeks. You're not going to be able to see a lot of the stuff that was there. It's not fresh anymore. It's old. It's, you know, it's hard to see. Yeah, it's way easier to see a fresh rub than an old rub that's been there. You can see a fresh rub from 200 yards away. You're like, oh, yep, something's been rubbing on that tree yep. or a big old ground scrapes. You know, the leaves land in it, and then the grass starts growing back over again, and you just lose all that sign, and then – I've had it where the sign's there consistently, and then I've had it where the sign is bouncy. But one thing I like to do is I'm we're not huge on scouting in season. It's just not something that we do. Um, like yeah. we might go, we scout on the way in and out, but we don't walk areas unless we're pulling cams, um, which we very we barely <laughs> do that now in season. Um, but uh, the but I like to think about what I potentially that area might be and then late season i verify yeah so homie and i was like that's a bedding area and then homie was like that's a bedding area i'm like yep that's probably the bedding area went in there definitely the bedding area but i in the tree we were both like man we probably should get down and move <laughs> in there and then we talk it out homie's like man if we get in there we're not gonna be able to we're not gonna have a tree and it looks so thick there's very little tree selection and I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. You know what I mean? And then we went in there. There's like two trees we could have hung a stand in. And like, you can shoot 10 yards. And you can shoot 10 <laughs> yards. You know what I mean? So homie was right. But I feel like if we would have went in there, I think we would have busted everything out. Yeah. That at least a couple of days. Yeah. But but then we would have known then. Yeah. And if it wouldn't have been a bedding area, we'd have been sitting there like wasting our time. You know right. what I mean? So it's good when you're right to not scout. But if you're wrong, it can, it can hurt you big time. Yeah, and my my approach. So you know, I'm I tend to like when well, I do have some private ground out here that I've got just for knocking on doors, and I don't go in and burn them places up. You know, as far as scouting them, but the public, it's like, man, there's tons of other people out there, and that's kind of why I'm just like, it's, it ain't no different than anyone else doing it. You know, so that's the only reason why I do it and don't care as much, just because if I do go in and blow a deer out probably can go somewhere else and find another deer or come in from a different direction. But like on the private spot, I would, I agree with you a hundred percent. I, I revisit it, you know, late season and, and then 
you know, clarifying everything that I thought maybe. That's a good point though, man. Cause if you're not scouting it on public, you know, someone else probably is anyways with the, the yeah, way, like, the way the, you know, public's popular, packing, hunting's popular, scouting season's huge, you know? So I, 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 I agree with that, that if you're not scouting it, someone else probably do. And I say it every year, we just need to get a little bit more pushy on public. You know what I mean? A little bit more risky. Right. We know the spots we don't want to go, but there's like, like you said, there's so many other pieces that we could just take off on and we hunted the fringes like all, I was gonna say, all season. And, <laughs> yeah. and where the money is, the, yeah. the deer aren't there I, in October. I, try, I used to like cringe every time I'd blow a doe or something like that. But it's the nice thing about public is, even though there isn't a lot of it out there, there is enough options that if you go and blow a deer out, like you can go somewhere else. And honestly, what's to say someone else wasn't in there that morning and blew out the spot already, you know? Yeah. Um, and what I found is, like, so even though they don't allow a lot of non-residents to hunt in Iowa, a lot of the non-residents that do draw a tag do hunt a lot of the public. And this particular piece, it was crazy because I had it to myself the whole October until, like, the last week. And next thing you know, there's guys from Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, all of them showing up. And it's like, okay, all those guys are definitely scouting right now before they hunt or, or at least doing some sort of, you know, checking something out. So I'm like, I got to be on my A game and try to figure out everything that was, was good in the last couple of weeks has definitely changed, you know. For um, sure. Just because of it. And I don't know, it's like, I would always go back to the parking lot. The Michigan guys, they were, they were pretty cool and we were talking and they struggled. They really struggled and they ran cameras. They were driving the whole way down here um, all summer running cameras and had already pre-hung all their stands in areas that they thought were going to be good. And I felt bad for them because they waited four or five years to get the tag and and they weren't they weren't on gear, you know. And it's it's just part of it though. But that's that's one benefit I'd say. Like like out state hunts, like you go to an out you know some other state, like you've got to do a lot of scouting up front. Or else you're just going to spend your whole trip, you know, wishing and wondering where they are. At least that's my thought. Yeah, you know? you're just waiting on getting lucky instead of trying to go find the deer, you know, a lot of yeah, times. Yeah, and, and, like, me personally, like, I'll aerial scout a property, but I really struggle to, other than finding, like, pension and stuff, really struggle to really key in on an area and, and say that's where I'm going to kill one. Because, obviously, you can't, boots on the ground just trumps everything. I mean, you got to be able to see what, tree you can like you said you got to find the tree you can you know climb up in and is there any shooting lanes there i got and just so many other factors yeah i mean we we went to a tree this year that we had you know scouted on a map and then went back and checked it one time before season we're like oh it's good and then it was in three foot of water you know what i mean so shit can change fast you got to be able to make another plan but um i still think that's we need, we need to be there. I got to you take, guys do a lot of hanging hunts, or do you? Yeah, we do. We do a lot of hanging hunts. Our private um, is probably seventy percent pre-hung stands, thirty percent hanging hunts. Um, maybe half and half. I don't know, cause you. I mean, the, you killed your buck on a hanging hunt. Yeah. Two in shotgun hanging hunts. Um, ah, probably probably. 70 30 yeah. yeah probably 70 30 but public is literally all it's all hanging it's all yeah it's all hanging hunt yeah and, i don't i yeah, don't like leaving Iowa's a stand kind of weird. they have a i don't know if you guys are in illinois right yeah yeah like iowa has a weird rule where you leave a stand on public and someone else gets there before you they can hunt that stand that day even though it's your stand they have access to hunt it so it's kind of a weird weird law, which I wouldn't hunt anyone else and stand anyhow, but that's not to say someone else isn't going to jump up in yours. You know, so... Yeah, I, one time I was way sense. back on public here in Illinois, and there's this giant ladder stand, and I was like, man, this guy drugged this thing all the way back here. And, I, and you know, like in, in Illinois, I don't know if Iowa, they make you sign your stand with like your name and your number and stuff. Um, I don't know if they make you do that there or not, but here you have to. 
And uh, I went to the base of it, and there was a baggie zip-tied to it, and there was this, like, typed-out note that was like, this is my stand. Um, I'm going to be hunting these days. I don't mind if you hunt it, but if you see anything, write down what you see. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this guy, this is nuts. But that was the same year I had guys take down my stand, ratchet-strap it up, and hide it, and then... On the on the their tree stand, leave me a note that said, "I took down your tree stand. I've been hunting this tree for five years, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" So I called this guy. He's like, 200 yards up, CRP field. Take a left. There's a down tree. Your stand's behind it." I'm like, "What in wow. the hell?" That all. That's that all at Spoon crazy. River. That's all at Spoon River, man. Wow. I used to hunt it, no problem, the first two or three years, and then it was like, public's cool. 6,000 guys, opening days, there's people barbecuing in <laughs> midday. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. But but so you said that yeah. you're running 25, 26 cams early season. Are you running these on food sources? Are you running them on pinches? Where are you running them to find these these areas? So in the summertime, a lot of times, like, so I will run corn in the summer. It's, it's legal here in Iowa. It's got to be out like 30 days before. Um, I used to do a lot of minerals, but honestly, I've gotten away from it just because, you know, they leach into the soil and next thing you know, there's a hole there and it doesn't look good. And if I want to go back and hunt an area like that, at least corn in the summer isn't going to be any factors, you know, from that. But I also do a lot of just flat out trails, just finding the trails, you know, because they do plant some crops on the public out here. Um, so I'll just find a lot of the trails and, and put them in there really just depends and then i transition everything in september um most of it goes to scrape um a lot of them are mock scrapes that i make just honestly by pissing in you know and a scrape that was there or um making one um and just hanging my cameras over that and that that at least tells me what bucks are still in the area um and so forth last year was the first year i messed around with cell cameras um, which was pretty neat. This this buck I shot, I actually didn't have a cell camera there, but um, the one spot where I did, I had it on a mock scrape. There was a guy, an older guy that would hunt, and he would walk by my cell camera, so I knew when he was hunting. But for whatever, I don't know if he was scared of the dark or what. He'd come out like 30 minutes, 40 minutes before daylight, or you know, before it got dark, and he car- he would do hanging hunts too, but he would carry everything out like 30 40 minutes before it, it was like prime time and this guy's bailing out every time but um so yeah i'd say a lot of it is food source what i do do a lot of is drive around and just see what like bucks will use crp there is a lot of browse in the crp and stuff in the summertime um and just kind of velvet scout if i see you know a couple of deer coming out of a corner in the field, then I'll run back and put a camera there the next day. Or I, I sometimes I even will go in after it's dark. I feel like bumping them in the dark isn't as bad as them actually seeing you. Um, so I've even done that where I run back in after it's dark with a, a flashlight and hang a camera on the corner. Um, I was having this conversation with a guy a couple of days ago at work. What do you think about, do you think deer are spooked by flashlights? I want to ask homie too. I don't think they are. Because I've shined bucks right in the face and walked past them. And, like, and they, they no, look I, at it. I don't think they are either. I don't think, like, every time I've spooked a buck, they have just ran, mm-hmm. like, in the daylight. But at nighttime, they like, yeah. look, take a couple steps, look, take a couple steps, look. I'm like, they have no fucking clue who I am. You know what I mean? So this yeah, guy was I like. As long as they can't smell you, you're good. Yeah. So I you feel know? like going in the night might be. Might be a game changer tip, man. Yeah, and I just to kind of answer that from my perspective is like you see a buck on cam, like he's doing the head bob, he's up and down, you know, he's side to side checking out, you know, your LED on there and trying to figure out what it is. And I, I personally use a red flashlight ninety percent of the time. Yeah, you I think know red or green plays a factor. I know coyotes <laughs> it supposed to be this. Use red as well. I use white. I just I was use a saying, regular this light. Year, this year I did have to use it's white. It's really hard so... to get a super bright red light. 
Like, I haven't found a red light that's just incredibly well, bright. So my handheld flashlight is the same brand as our headlamps, mm-hmm. and it does a red. And I'd use that on, you know, two yeah. or three years before. But this year, going back there to where we were, like, you almost, you have to have a white light because it, red, you just can't see everything. And it's so dangerous going back there. Mm-hmm. You know, you need all the light you can get. Yeah. Maybe once yeah. we get up on that, off, up off that cliff... Yeah, when we're laying there for five minutes trying to get our shit together, <laughs> get our breath back. <laughs> Maybe from there on we could do red, red. or something. <laughs> yeah. No, to your point though, there isn't really that many good flashlights that are red. I've even considered like looking into like a Predator light because they got to be using red, I would think. And yeah, you should have some pretty good ones that would work. Yeah, that's a good idea too because those those are like two hundred fifty, three hundred yards. Even the, like the eighty dollar ones because what we pay for our headlamps like forty. Forty, yeah, yeah. But they're they're like if you want to invest in something and you're going to be hunting on public and packing in, you need a really solid headlamp. Like yeah. we never said that on this podcast. Like that's something you need to invest in that a lot of people don't talk about. Is this a really solid light because you're going to be doing so much stuff in the dark that's dangerous hanging stands, walking down, you know, cliffs with a stand on your back and sticks and a lot of weight to throw you off balance. And you need a good light to make sure your feet got good grips and hanging a stand in the dark. Once you do it the first, like, five times, it's brutal. You know what I mean? But once you get going, you're like, oh, it's a little easier, you know? Yeah, so three, four years ago, I got a handheld flashlight that I was just talking about. Um, It's police security brand yeah and then um this past year i went to local hardware store got the headlamp that is police security i knew it was gonna be a good headlamp yeah you bought it and i was like i'm going to buy one yeah yeah i mean i was was like like, how much was it like 40 bucks i'm like jesus yeah (laughs) what's it get a loan for a headlamp bro (laughs) (laughs) but i mean it's kick-ass yeah i mean yeah Yeah. and back to what you were saying about like the first couple of times you do a hang and hunt in the dark, once you figure out, like I have a system that I do and I don't know, I think it works pretty good that everyone probably has their own system. But once you figure out a system that works, like just run with it, you know, that's what we always did. But we always, me and homie are really big on one person, not outworking the other. So mm-hmm. like if one guy carries the camera gear, the other guy hangs the stand. He hangs a stick. So he's hanging the sticks the hunter always hangs the stand because yeah. I mean he's hunting. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, the like, hunter always hangs. You got the you get the fun part, so you're gonna do the. the... Yeah, so we're always flipping back and forth because we're switching hunting. <laughs> you know, so one day we're doing it homie style, one day we're doing it my <laughs> style. <laughs> so we just need to both get a style, and that's what we struggled at first, like because you're you're up in the tree and now you're depending on the ground guy, which is nice to have a ground guy move stuff yeah. a lot faster, but uh, you know. Being able to switch back and forth is going to be, we're a lot better at it now. Oh, it just yeah. takes time. Yeah. That's like and we said. Just if not you're, getting frustrated. And every tree is different. That's the difficult you know, side of it. Yeah, that is for sure. And say, that's I, the hardest part. Yeah, man. I was going to say, I think that's the biggest part is just knowing the tree. Because I felt like once we went over to Hunt West Side, you know, like the third time, it's just bing, bang, boom. Yeah, you, you know, know we're in there. We're in there. We did that one time, eight yeah, minutes. Eight minutes, yeah. So I mean, yeah, we were up the tree, set up with setting camera gear up in eight minutes. You know, what I mean, that's pretty pretty solid for two that's stands, great. two guys. You know, but we that was the yeah. third time we hunted that tree. Yeah, we knew exactly what we were gonna do, and then boom, we were up, and we were like, "Dang, that was that was quick." You know, what I mean, but didn't oh, we seen a couple of does? <laughs> no matter how quick <laughs> yeah. you are, deer don't still still don't come. But but yeah, that what what uh, tree stands are you guys running? Uh, we run lone wolves now. I think I'm gonna switch as long as a as long as the hawk uh, stand does come out, because <laughs> I know it's supposed to come out. But as long as the new hawk stand comes out, I think I'm gonna switch to it. But I've won run lone wolf the last three years, and homie bought a brand new set last year, and mm-hmm. they're solid, man. There's it's really hard to not. I can't say anything bad about them. Really, I mean, yeah, super solid. I just, uh. I just want to see if there's anything better. A little bit lighter weight. I'm going to run smaller sticks with aiders. I'm going to switch it up a little bit and see. I might not like it. I might go back. You know what I mean? But um, if I go back, I'll just use homie sticks. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, the sticks is my big, you know, long, long sticks to short sticks with aiders. Like, 
I'm going to be carrying one more stick, but I'm also going to be le- losing four pounds, and they're going to be easier to hang. If you were going to say four ounces, I was going to throw this beer at you. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not it's not huge. It's just the stand is substantially lighter. Um, so that's that's what I'm going to go to. And um, homie's going to be rocking the Lone Wolf, I'm assuming. So, But, yeah, I still have mine. I might be doing a little trade with it. I don't know. Mm. Um might be doing a little trading with our taxidermists for the stand. You never, you never know what I might get into, man. But uh, wheeling and dealing all the time. Yeah, I mean, I got money to spend on hunting stuff, but if you can trade stuff, it's just so much better. You know what I mean? You're just like, yeah, I got this for, for sure. the, it, a deal is always good. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I usually always don't win out on the trade, but I traded a four wheeler last year for a complete bow setup, and that was. Definitely a win. Yeah, I always go up on trades. I don't trade unless I go up. (laughs) (laughs) I got so many tree stands because I got out of goose hunting, dude. You don't even understand. (laughs) My garage is loaded. (laughs) I was they're like, oh yeah, I need that goose call. I'm like, got any tree stands? They're like, oh yeah. I'm like, all right. Do you need some decoys? How many tree stands (laughs) you got, man? (laughs) So you can't goose hunt and deer hunt at the same time. You can't do it. If you're into one, you can't. It's hard to do both because they're just. The goose hunters just destroy our faces for deer season. Oh. They ruin everything for yeah. us. Yeah, <laughs> I say it's not a really good relationship. No. <laughs> so a lot of our private gets shut down to goose hunters, and then there's pieces that we can't lease that we could be able to lease if there wasn't goose hunters on it. And, uh, it's brutal Crazy. out there. Yeah. And I didn't realize how into it, you know, waterfowl goose hunters are. Like that's something I never even experienced. But they're serious. It's, oh yeah, they're dead. I've been deal. I've been multiple times, and it's a completely different style of hunting. It's really fun. Um, it's just not like I'm all in on whitetail. Like that's my deal. And it, it seems like if you're a goose hunter, you might deer hunt, but you just go deer hunting. You know, you're not like it's not a full year mission. If you don't kill deer, you're gonna be devastated. You know what I mean, like, <laughs> like it's like oh, I didn't kill deer this year. You know, what I mean, like. But for them, it's like, oh, I killed eight geese. Just, just the investment that they have in decoys yeah. and a blind, probably a boat. Dude, those, I mean, guys, those guys got trailers, you know, yeah, lights. Tra- literally trailers They're, pl- they're playing like, you know, four or $5,000 for a pit blind, heaters. They're drinking beer out there. You, you know how Cooking much, sausage. You know how much <laughs> it would cost if you just drank beer all the time while you're in a tree stand? <laughs> be a fortune you know what i mean it'd be a fortune you... how many beers can you drink in 180 hours yeah, yeah i mean like yeah i spent 200 hours in the goose blind how many beers did you drink bro like a lot you know what i mean i mean at least 600 yeah, at three least, an hour least, <laughs> come on you know what i mean at least one an hour so you're talking 300 beers that's 10 30 packs you know you're talking what 200 bucks 10 30 150 150 dollars yeah that's on the low end. That's if mm-hmm. you drink l- low class beer. Keystone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what goose hunters drink. They got a lot of money in yeah, decoys. Yeah. They might be drinking yeah, Keystone. They're probably out there drinking Sam Adams and stuff. High dollar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this is way off a of deer hunting. <laughs> we've, we've been known to get off on some pretty random tangents. The flashlight tangent was way out yeah, there. That, that's yeah, that's what started. Yeah, that was it. But, but that's a good flashlight. Yeah. All right, well, let's get back into it. Um, it's so awesome that you've seen this buck so many different times. That's something me and homie have not been able to do yet. Like, if we see the deer, it's a dead deer. Like, we don't see the deer and get the get that history besides trail cams. Man, we could, I could, if if I could put a bullet in a trail cam, I would murder deer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would say bullet. Yeah. Oh, no, not that's an why arrow. I said bullet. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's why I said bullet. I got to keep the trend going. There you go. But. It's so awesome that you've seen him, you know, so many times, and I know that helped you move in on him. But so the final spot um, that you'd end up did sealing the deal, you went in there just because it was a pinch, you said, and and you knew that he was kind of in the area, and you'd seen them other bucks in there. Yeah, honestly, like if you just knowing from what I scouted before in the area, it just made the most sense for him. If he's still in there, you know, because I saw him a few days before. If he's still in there, he's got to come through there. Um, again, and honestly, it's, it's, I, I don't, I don't really hunt a lot of pinches, but during that time of the year, you know, I saw him in that general area twice. So it was just a matter of time to me. It made sense. I got to get in that area. That, that's where I'm going to kill him. Um, 
that's going to force him to come through there, and, and it did. Um, I do think it is a, a spot where I probably can kill a buck almost every year just because of how tight of a spot it is and what I saw, but you never know, honestly. But he, and the reason why I think I, I so I, what I think that buck was truly doing was when he would get a doe, you know, he was kind of pushing her up in this spot, and that's where he was holding her, more or less. Um, and that's why I saw him so consistent is because that's where he was at. I don't, I really don't think he, I know he wasn't in there in the summer. I can't really say that was his core area, truly. I think he probably wandered into there and then made it his home, honestly. But it was kind of neat. Um, after I killed him, I checked some of my trail cameras, and I had pictures of him three-quarters of a mile away the day before I killed him, which really isn't that far, but it's just kind of neat that I had him on. I ended up having him on three different cameras um, within, like, a three-day period. Like, he was just moving all over. Like, he wanted to get killed. But um, I don't know. It's kind of a new deal to have. And I actually, the one the one camera I had, which was closest to where I was hunting, I had him on camera leaving, I guess, what would be his bed and coming my direction about 30 minutes before I killed him. So pretty neat to have that, you know, his last walk. I got a picture of him, but pretty, pretty cool to get. Yeah, I've always said for like, I just want to be able to hit the rewind button for like the last 10 minutes before I shoot a deer, you know, any deer, just to see like, what were you doing? Where'd you come from? And just kind of, yeah. you know, g- just get that information. So that is super cool. All right, man. Yeah, well, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and I, the, well, where I had that camera, honestly, the reason why I didn't have the, the pictures of them from the three days before is like you were saying, I, I didn't go in there and check them just because I, I that's where I suspected a lot of these deer were coming from, you know, and, and walking by me. So that kind of just goes back to, to that side of it. Yeah, it's hard not to go in there and pull a cam, but sometimes I think that's why a lot of people were successful because they didn't go in there. Or they not, had, yeah, yeah, like because they did, you know. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. just like us that day when we pulled that cam, bucks on there, and we're like, oh, we need to go pull that other cam. You know? And then we bumped them does. Yeah, what right? else did we bump? You know, you're like, if we wouldn't have pulled that second cam, might have killed. You know, you never Yeah, know. yeah, never. So, but. All right, man, well. Sometimes we get too greedy too quick. You know, oh, yeah. On the check cameras, it's like, you know, he's in there, just wait it out. You got to just be gentle until you can kill him. Yeah, you know? and then that night we were hunting, and um, we were just sitting there talking, and we're like, like, no matter what was on that cam, didn't determine whether we sat here or not. So if we would have just checked the first cam, hunted, Checking that second cam, you know, we were going to be there no matter what was on it. So it was dumb for us to go in there and check it. And then we bump, what, four does? Mm-hmm. Four does on the way out. We made it in and uh, we had a pretty decent pull. So we're kind of, you know, fired up. And then we weren't being as cautious as we were on the way out. And then boom, bust four does. Yeah. Yeah, and then you probably regretted the whole deal. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, we were like, just kicking ourselves once we got like, out why, to the edge. We were just like, we dumb. That? that was dumb. Good lesson learned. But every year you feel like, every every year whitetails just make me feel dumb as hell. <laughs> like, God, I'm the worst hunter <laughs> it's ever. It's just addicting. Yeah. It's just addicting to get more pictures of the deer that you're chasing. Oh, it is. Just, you're just like, what is this deer doing? Just let me know what you're doing. You know what I mean? That's the whole thing. Yeah. Like, putting if you if you couldn't put the pieces together... Like, I would hunt before trail cams, but I don't think it would be as fun. Just, mm, yeah, you wouldn't know what's out there. You'd just be going. That would be exciting. But, like, just the story that you have. Like, oh, this, you know, I got him here last year, same time, you know, or whatever. But. Yeah. Yeah, it's just part of the whole experience, honestly. That's what makes it more like a year-round thing anymore, you know. Yeah, that's sure. Like, we say 12-month 12 month commitment to, to kill a deer for yeah, us. You know what I mean? Sure. We're not, yeah. we're not skilled enough to go out there. Guy was like, man, you've been doing pretty good. I'm like, dude, I am so bad until I can go out there and kill like 
I'm gonna. This is how I'm gonna kill him, and that's how it happens. I'm I'm, I'm garbage. That, that's just somebody seeing all the highs that you yeah, had. They didn't they see, don't all, see the all, all the lows. Lows, you know what I mean? Where I'm in my third tree of the night because I can't get the damn stand <laughs> in. Or when we hung that stand on the public ground on that bean field. Yeah. Oh uh, my god, <laughs> that's the worst. I, I don't even know. You know how loud we were. Oh yeah. Stupid. Stupid loud. Didn't see anything. Imagine no. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and talking some deer with us. This is a great episode. Um, like I said, moving and then killing a giant on public in two years and, and having you know having some history with him and see him and getting it done. Props to you, dude, for, for doing that. That's, that's super badass. I appreciate that. I really do. And honestly, you know, I, I get told all the time how lucky I am to do this, but Honestly, anyone can do what I did. It's just a matter of doing it, you know, putting effort into it and getting after it. That's all it is. We don't get much more epic than that. Man, this is a pretty cool story, and, you know, I am I guess I'm just blessed to be born in the Midwest and be able to chase the deer that I want to chase, you know. But, you know, for somebody to, just like he said in there, you know, Anybody can do what he did. You just basically got to have the balls mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that just, just goes back to... And he left his dream job. Yeah. Left I mean, his that's dream wild. job just to chase whitetails. So if you want anything in life, you can make it happen. You just got to put the work in and have the balls to, to back it up. So uh, dream big, leave a legacy, and uh, whitetail legacy's out. <laughs>